following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Well, boy, am I glad to be home. Um, I had a wonderful trip uh, to see my family in California. Uh, the wedding was beautiful and God-honoring, wonderful couple. Um, they even uh, they um, they even used a communion set that I turned um, for them. I didn't know that they were going to have uh, communion in their wedding ceremony, um, and I met with them the night before uh, to present the gift because it's not like a toaster where you can just put it on the gift table and don't explain it at all. Um, it's just otherwise it's just a plate and a cup. You know, it's dinner for one. Uh, so I wanted to explain it a little bit more to them. Um, and uh, they uh, uh, they said, well, we, we had planned on having communion as part of the wedding um, before, uh, before their first kiss. I mean, so it's like their first act as a married couple. They wanted to put the Lord first. Um, and they said they didn't really have a good plan uh, for doing that. Like they were just going to use a you know, a silver plate and, and a couple of the little plastic cups um, from church. Uh, so they said, can we use this? I said, it's yours, so you can do with it whatever you want. So anyway, it was, uh, it was, it was a beautiful thing to symbolize putting Christ before everything else in their, um, in their marriage. So, and they're in Bali right now, roughing it. Seen some pictures. It's tough, you know, living in the jungle uh, with an infinity pool and, outdoor showers and stuff like that so it's really um but it was just a wonderful time with my family and i appreciate the opportunity to go a lot of people had to sacrifice a lot for me to do that including my family here um or maybe they had it better i'm not really sure but um just very grateful uh for that time and that now we're back together and i'm very happy about that uh you can tell i'm rested because i sound that way uh so i'm happy for that too and uh we'll enjoy that as long as we get it. So, but now vacation is over. It's time to get back to work. So, yay! We're gonna continue our study in Paul's letter to the Colossians. So you can turn there, uh, Colossians chapter one, verses twenty-one and twenty-three, um, page nine eighty-three in the Pew Bible, if that's helpful to you. And uh, and they'll have it up on the screen here. Um, we'll read the text actually starting back in verse nineteen. And then we'll pray together. Uh, first, uh, first Corinthians. Wow. Okay. So Colossians, I meant to say Colossians one verse 19. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray. Father God, we're so grateful uh, to be together as a family here this morning. Um, we're so thankful that uh, you've given us your word to instruct us and guide us, um, to show us how to live, uh, to show us your love, 
And I pray, Lord, as we study your word, uh, we would appreciate your love more. We would appreciate the pattern for living that you have for us more. uh, And that we would not just uh, get it stuck in our heads, but it would move to our hearts and change the way that we live. Uh, We look forward to spending this time in your word. And uh, we pray that you would use it for your glory and our good in Jesus' name. Amen. What a relief it is to say in Jesus' name and not struggle. I'm supposed to not be tired, so no crying. Not always, not always go together. That's true. <clears throat> so this was supposed to be a really long sermon. It might actually be really fast. Uh, so slow me down if if you need to. Um, so my hope in uh, as we work through these verses. Um, is that we will uh, we will be examining what we once were versus what we really are. Um, but it is entirely possible that for some of you here this morning, it may be more of uh, what you are now uh, versus what you can become. Uh, either way, I hope that by the time we finish today, we'll all be in the same category. This is what we once were, and this is uh, now what we are, what we really are. Uh, so just remember that as as we deal with the um, what you really are, um, if you find that it uh, is not describing what you or who you really are, um, it is who you can become um, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So um, uh, it's not too late. So I started back in verse 19. Uh, because it is where Paul introduces um, the idea of Christ Jesus as the reconciler. The, the only one, the only one who can do the work. He's the only one who can reconcile God and man. Um, It is only him that made peace between God and man through the blood of his cross. Uh, And it is only through faith in him that that peace can be claimed by mankind. We can't get peace with God without Jesus. There are people that are searching for peace, inner peace. Well, inner peace is worthless without peace with God. You can feel great about yourself, uh, but if your relationship with God, if you're at enmity with God, uh, that peace is not worth anything. Um, regardless of how nice we are or how much we do to serve others, Without faith in Christ and his death on the cross in our place, there can be no peace with God. He alone can be the reconciler. Reconciliation is his work. His work. Reconciliation is his work. So let's leave it to him. See, we get, I think we get wrapped up in the idea that if we're just, faith in Christ is fine. Okay, yes, we believe in Jesus. But we also have to be good enough. And I think we're all guilty of that. I know I'm guilty of that. Like, we don't count on our faith in Christ to be enough. So we try to work it off. We try to work off our debt. And you just can't. The the hole is too deep. You can't throw enough sand in it to fill it. Um, We've already been reconciled with God. And I think that that's just too hard for us to handle. And it takes the work of the Holy Spirit for us to understand it. Reconciliation is his work. The reason for that reconciliation is found in verse 1. 
uh, 21, excuse me, verse 21. It is a state of mankind without faith in Christ. It is what we once were, and perhaps for some of you here today, it's what you still are, but it's not what you have to stay. That's the best part. Verse 21 says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Now, it's possible, I suppose, that you can claim faith in Christ and still be alienated from God, still be hostile in your mind towards him and still be doing evil deeds. That's certainly not what his desire for us is. But before faith in Christ, we were completely alienated from God, completely estranged from our father. We were foreigners to his nation, strangers to his promise and separated from his blessings. But even within that alienation, we were active, not just passive. Oh, I don't know God. I'm just going to go about life. In that state, we were also actively hostile in our minds towards God. Actively hostile to him in our thinking. Now, it's, it is a common thought that doing evil deeds is what creates hostility with God. Wouldn't you agree? Like, how do you make God mad? By doing bad stuff. Right? But it's not really how it works. Um, we think that it's, it's as if all the bad things that we've done creates that hostility with God. But it's the reverse. It's the hostility with God that creates the evil deeds. It's, it's hostility with God that motivates and inspires doing wrong things. Doing evil deeds doesn't create the hostility. It's the result of the hostility. I, I'm pretty sure that we all know really nice people that don't know the Lord and don't understand. Um, I mean, how many people here have had friends say, I'd, I'd come to church, but I'd, I'd get struck by lightning, the building would fall in, it would catch fire, I and mean, it's ridiculous, right? But it's, they think it's because they've done too much wrong, right? I mean, but how ludicrous is that? Once we, we know the truth, that's not, that's not even close, right? We think it's about what we do. In fact, it's how, our, how we think that creates that hostility. People don't come to church because they don't want to. Do you know that? <laughs> Is that? I hope that's not a secret, right? I was, I just, I don't, I don't, like you know, I don't read a lot, but I, I see titles for articles, and um, there was, uh, I think it was Christianity Today or Gospel Coalition or something like that that had an article about churches that are playing secular music before and after church services. You know, they're they're playing Shake It Off instead of, you know, Amazing Grace before the service starts because they want to be, you know, more friendly towards unbelievers. They don't want unbelievers to be uncomfortable. <laughs> That's nuts. They're supposed to be uncomfortable. Why? Are, how? I didn't mean to get on a soapbox. Um, that's it's ridiculous. People know that church is church, right? And that things are different here. Things are different among our family. We do things different. We look at things different. We think differently. We act differently, or at least we should. Most of the world knows that. We, we have the great fortune of living in New England, 
where you know where people stand. Right? So you can keep praying for John and Bill down in Tennessee where everybody thinks they're saved, even when they're not. At least here, you know where people stand. That's a great blessing. I don't know if you know that. That hostility in mind, that alienation and doing evil deeds, that all comes from being God's enemies. That's what the words mean. Choosing to reject God, choosing enmity with him. And I don't know about you, but it breaks my heart to see people continue to choose to be God's enemies like they prefer it that way. Choosing to reject his love, choosing to reject his purpose for them. It's terrible, but it's an unfortunate reality. One that we were once a part of, but we're not anymore. There's great freedom, even for those who are already saved, if we would embrace the truth of these next few words. If our thinking about ourselves would match the way God the Father thinks about us, if we would see ourselves the way he sees us, there is terrific freedom. Listen to his words here. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. May our outlook change to match God's outlook of us. Our biggest problem is between our ears because our thinking is wrong. We don't think about ourselves the way God thinks about us. We don't see ourselves the way God sees us. We see ourselves in a perpetually broken, uh, incomplete, not good enough state. Maybe it's just me. No. We are no longer strangers, nor foreigners, nor aliens, nor no longer enemies, no longer actively hostile, no longer separated, but reconciled, bought back from death by the death of Jesus on the cross. I don't know that we'll ever get it. I don't know that we'll ever get what motivated God to do that. But it should change the way we think about ourselves. Because he saw something. He saw something in you. He saw that you were worth saving to him. Paul wrote in Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. Here comes the Bible's most beautiful word. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were separated from him, alienated from him, foreigners to him, strangers, enemies, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified, made right by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. 
More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Do you understand what a beautiful thing that is? Part of, our, part of the motivation for our rejoicing should be the embrace of the wonderful goals that God has set for us through reconciliation. He not only wants us to be reconciled and just made right with him, but he also wants us to be holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now, the word for this is sanctification. And it's a process, a growth process. Our Father's goals for us, for us in this growth process of sanctification is that we would be holy, blameless, and above reproach before Him. Do you ever find yourself using those words to describe yourself? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I think more like jerk and selfish and, you know, all those sorts of things. But that's not God's goal for us. Holy, blameless, and above reproach before Him. Sounds like a tall order, doesn't it? Well, let's break down the words and see if it helps. Maybe it will make it worse. I don't know. To be holy is to be consecrated or set apart for God's use. When we come to faith in Christ, we are made judicious, judicially perfect without sin. God does not see our sin anymore. And as we grow, we become more spiritually complete as we live to God and die to the world. Or at least uh, uh, we should conduct ourselves as such. We are alive to God and dead to sin. Alive to God and dead to the world. Not that the world doesn't see us exist, but we don't operate by the world's principles anymore. And that's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. We're all, we're all works in process in that way. But God's goal is for us to be holy and set apart for his use. To be blameless is to be free from the faults and stains of sin. Through faith in Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin. Sin is now a choice, and we can choose to say no. And as we grow, we choose to say no more and more, and we choose to sin less and less, or we should. If you find that's not true of you, it's because you're not growing. And if you're not growing, it's because you're consciously choosing to not grow. Okay? This is your responsibility to choose to grow. And it's very, very simple. Just like plants just hang out and get the sun and get the water and photosynthesis happens and they grow. They don't have to choose, but we do. And sometimes we just choose to stay in the, in the shade instead of getting the sun that we need. My prayer is that sin will no longer even be an option for us. Do you know that's possible? Do you know that's possible? You can choose to say no to sin. How beautiful is that? Would that we'd make that choice more often? All right. To be holy, to be set apart, to be blameless, free from the, the faults and stains of sin, and to be above reproach before God. This is to be unreprovable, unaccused before God. I think that it's simple and a lot easier, at least in my mind, to be above reproach before our neighbors. Our neighbors don't know any better. Or we can be really nice. We can be great neighbors, you know, helping people out, being nice people. 
But our neighbors don't know what we do in secret. They don't know what we're like behind the cover of our books. They haven't read all the pages. But God sees everything. God's read all the pages. He's the one that holds the print on there. <laughs> He's the one that holds the molecules together. He knows our every, our every thought, our every move. God sees everything. And he wants us to be above reproach before him. To be above reproach before our neighbors has some benefit, sure. But to be above reproach before God, unaccusable, what a beautiful thing. Revelation 12.10 calls Satan the accuser of the brethren, accusing us before God night and day. But Jesus is our advocate. It, as it says in 1 John 2.1, He has taken all our sin upon Himself, so we are free from accusation. That's a beautiful thing. That's what Jesus is currently doing for you now. He's standing before the Father. And when Satan says, Ah, see that? Jesus said, Nope, that was me. That's mine. Because that one is mine. My blood covers that sin. We have an advocate in Jesus. Amen to that. These are God's goals for reconciling, or God, God's goal for us in reconciling us. And these three attributes to be holy, blameless, and above reproach before a God. Do they sound familiar? Do they sound like somebody you've heard of before? To be set apart for God's use, to be free from the stains of sin, be free from faults. To be unaccusable before God. I've heard of someone that is like that. It sounds an awful lot like Jesus, doesn't it? That's God's goal for us. Now, just as the word but is the most beautiful Bible word, verse 23 holds maybe the Bible's most difficult word. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if, indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven in which I, Paul, became a minister. If, if, what do you mean, if? What do you mean? You mean to say that I'm only truly saved if I continue in the faith? Like it all depends on me? Yes. That's what it means. It is a most difficult word. But don't be confused. Our salvation, our reconciliation with God is not based on our efforts. Jesus has already done the work. We will, we will not be saved if we continue in the faith, but rather, we will continue in the faith if we are saved. Does that make sense? The scholars call this idea the perseverance of the saints. Anybody here a Calvinist? You know what TULIP stands for? Very few. Okay, well, maybe we'll do a class on that. It's okay. The idea is perseverance of the saints. That's P in TULIP perseverance of the saints if you're really saved you will you'll make it to the end 
it's well been said that if your faith fizzles before you finish, it's because it was faulty from the first. You get an F. <laughs> let it sink in. Let it, let it, let it marinate. <laughs> we can't count on reciting a magical prayer when we were a kid or signing a card at some evangelistic rally but living our lives, the rest of our lives, in complete opposition to that true faith. We can't count on a life like that to save us. We can't count on some prayer way back when. A faith that is real is a faith that persists. I can't tell you how many, how many funerals I've done and stood with families of people that have passed away that didn't live for Christ, that had, Faith in him had no effect on their lives, and their family says, well, he did. He was saved when he was a kid. She did, you know, there was a Billy Graham thing, and she did sign the card. Where's that faith? Where was that faith the next day? Where's the faith the next 40 years? It's a hard thing, but it's the truth. That's why the if is there. We must persevere. If our faith is real, we will. A faith that is real is a faith that persists. The last time I went to California to visit my family uh, was over 20 years ago. Um, and the house that we stayed in last week was just a foundation. It was just a cellar hole at the end of a dirt road. Um, and I couldn't help about... Uh, couldn't help but think about that in connection with the words here in verse 23. Stable and steadfast and not shifting. It's our faith, true faith, that persists and perseveres to the end, that's not after its own pleasure, but after the, after the Father's good pleasure, must be, first of all, stable. If you want to build a house, you must have a stable foundation. To be stable is to be built upon the rock, like Jesus said in Luke 6, 46 through 49. He said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears them and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now, this house we stayed in, they had to go deep to find the rock to build that foundation. And to be steadfast is to be firmly established or settled, settled in one's opinions or positions. That means we have to know what we believe. How do you have a faith that's per, that persists if you don't really know what your faith is in? You don't really know um, what you believe. I heard a story about a youth pastor. I think it was actually uh, Mark Hall, the lead singer for Casting Crowns. He told a story about um, a former student that was away at college, and his faith, faith was challenged in a class or in a conversation with somebody. And he had to call his youth pastor and ask him about the, whatever the topic was and said, uh, can you help me? What do I believe about this? <laughs> um, 
in order to be steadfast, we have to know what is true. We, we, we must first know what we need to know in order to know what we need to know. We can read it in God's word, right? The truth is all right here. Compact, travel size, put it in your phone, whatever. We have to know what we believe. And if you need a direction or don't know where to start in reading God's word because it tells you all that you need to know uh, in order to live and be saved and, and, and live this way that Paul is describing, if you need help getting started, I'm, please call me and ask me, what do I believe about this? I'll tell you all about it. I'd love to. All right? That's, that's what I'm here for, to help. So we are to continue in the faith, stable, built on a rock, steadfast, knowing what we believe, and also not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Now this house that we stated, not only was the foundation deep and the house steady, but it's built on the face of a cliff in earthquake, earthquake country. And while we were there, people kept saying, feels like fire and earthquake weather. It's hot, dry, Santa Ana winds are blowing. This is the last time it was like this. You know, our whole town was on fire and they had to evacuate the house, not this one, but a different house that they lived in at the time. And it feels like an earthquake is coming. I'm happy to be back here living on my inactive volcano rather than their active one. So... (laughs) This, this word, not shifting, right, to be steadfast uh, and stable and not shifting, this is an earthquake-related word. In the Middle East, uh, in, in, in Colossae, they knew what earthquakes were. They knew what earthquakes were like. Uh, the temple is not standing in Jerusalem because of an earthquake uh, in 70 A.D. And it, it shook that world apart. So this, this word is not uncommon uh, to the Colossians and, and others in that part of the world. God, our Father, wants us to be unshifting in the face of the quakes of life, not shaken off our foundation by the circumstances without or the sin or temptation to sin from within, to hold fast to the hope of the gospel, the confident expectation that our sin is dealt with, dealt with on the cross and that we have been reconciled with God our Father and we have a place with him in our in his eternal kingdom. That's the hope that he doesn't want us to shift from. It's not about what you do for work. It's not about how much money that you make. It's not about what contributions that you make to your community. All those are fine things. But if we shift from this hope, we're in deep trouble our house is going to slide off that cliff face right into the ocean. We have a place with God our Father in his eternal kingdom where what this world thinks is important is not going to be that important at all. I like it that the Bible describes the streets paved with gold, or maybe that's just old songs. I don't remember which. But if you get buried with your suitcase full of gold bricks. They're going to ask you why you brought the pavement with you. We've got enough as it is. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death 
in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. May we indeed continue in that faith, stable and steadfast, and not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you did the work to reconcile us. That you took the penalty for our sin on the cross. That there's, there's nothing left for us to do except, except that great gift. And I pray, Lord, that if there are any here that walked into this room this morning unreconciled, that they would put their trust in you so that they could be reconciled and would be so that they too can be presented holy and blameless and above reproach before you and start to build that foundation of faith stable and steadfast and not shifting and I pray for those of us that have been walking with you for a long time that we would that some of us would stop not growing and just being complacent in our walk with you. I pray that as we read your word, that you would bring it to life, that it would be rich and full, the way that we know it really is, but we want it to feel that way. I admit that's true of me. Lord, I pray that we would all together as a family grow, be sanctified, to be consecrated and set apart for your use that we wouldn't be just like everybody else. That everybody else would see that we're not the same and it's because of Jesus. May your gospel ring out from this family because of our behavior, because of uh, the things that we put first, our priorities, the way that we talk, the way that we act. I pray that people would see Jesus alive in us so that they too would, would meet him and he would be alive in them as well. God, I can't help but pray for our town, for our communities. I guess there's a lot of towns represented here. We pray that your spirit would be at work drawing people to you. So much hard heartache and hard times and people struggling. I pray that we would have compassion on them and share your love just by reaching out, a helping hand, whatever that might be, whatever that might look like. God, we're so grateful to be your children. May we embrace the idea that you're looking for more to adopt and do what we can to help. We love you, Lord, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890. 